a class issue and, and race does come into play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Good morning and welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. My name is Selena Hill. I am a co-host, executive producer of Let Your Voice Be Heard. Very happy to be here, She's guys. She's the head be in charge. <laughs> Alyssa, none, none of those. about that. No profane words no, this no, no. week. I just, just be. You're ahead. Be in charge. Be like in Bay, like Beyonce. Okay, I get it. I, I like that. All right, guys. So happy Sunday. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, where we talk politics, social issues, and foreign policy from a diverse millennial perspective. Stanley Fritz is not here, so I'm engineering on the board. he's a loser. Yeah, yeah, he definitely. But lo- Jackie definitely Cohn, we are blaming you today for the bus problems. If you have a problem with the bus, you call Jackie Cohn. <laughs> right, it's it's our co-host Jackie Cohen's fault. Uh, again, guys, I'm Selena Hill, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Miss Selena Hill, and I spell M I spell Miss with an M S, of course. Alyssa, because you fancy. Um, well, guess what? I'm fancy too because I was interviewed uh, a couple weeks ago, actually like a month or two ago, for um, an article that published this weekend in Super Lawyers Magazine about your right to protest. Um, so you should definitely check that out. But I am Alyssa Fuchs. I am the resident attorney-in-chief, um, and I come at you with all the legal knowledge, and you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs, and that's Alyssa with an I, or on Twitter at Alyssa Fuchs, also with an I, um, and, you know, I'm going to hit you with some legal knowledge today about taxes and disaster relief and all kinds of fun stuff, uh, so we'll be back at that in a minute, and uh, we're joined today by a special guest who is sitting to my left. Joshua Clennon. Hey, Harlem's everybody. very own Joshua <laughs> Clennon. That's right. Slash Bernie delegate, sometimes Bernie bro. But you know, however, you, you introduce yourself <laughs> the way you would like to. Hold on, hold on. Bernie bro's offensive? That yes, depends. In, some way, in the way that it's used <laughs> in today's jargon, it I is just, right. kind of offensive. Just kidding, but Joshua, you can um, give yourself a formal introduction. Um, Yeah, my name is Joshua Clennon. I'm a resident of Harlem. Um part of the I'm the charge of the Black Caucus of the Young Democrats of America. Um so repping the the Black Caucus on the today's show. Uh, I've been on here a couple of times, so thanks you guys for having me back again. It's great. Absolutely. So we have a great show lined up. We are going to start the show speaking about the devastation in Puerto Rico. Uh, we have a very special guest who will be calling in, Ed, Mor- Ed Morales from The Nation. He wrote a moving piece about Puerto Rico. Um, we are going to talk about that piece and the humanitarian crisis that's going on there. Uh, later on in the show, we're going to talk about uh, Donald Trump's main concern, which is how NFL players police peacefully protest apparently you know it's sunday it's sunday football time and i'm pretty sure trump the is tweets already began oh my God. already yeah all right despite the devastation in puerto rico texas florida i mean uh, our economy the tax proposal i mean but he's so focused on how people protest right so we'll talk about that later on in the show we'll talk about something else that's devastating his tax reform policy uh we'll go into detail on that and then last but not least Alyssa will give us a quickie on the failed 
GOP healthcare bill. Alyssa, want to give us a quickie on the quickie? Yeah, I mean, we should say the multiple failed healthcare bills. Um, but Republicans once again tried to repeal Obamacare, and once again they did not have the votes because after seven years of saying they were going to do something, they cannot actually get it done. Um, and I'll tell you a lot more about that and what happened and what we can expect going forward because I suspect this is not the last time that they are going to try and repeal Obamacare and that they are going to continue to try again, even after this current expiration date for them to do it passes. Absolutely, guys. So again, if you want to let your voice be heard, call us up at 212-650-6903. We definitely want to get your comments on this. We also have the Facebook Live going, so leave comments there as well. I'll be sharing it on my personal page, and you can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. We're going on a quick break, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're going to talk about what's going on in Puerto Rico and how this island can rebuild economically and uh, humanitarianly. And I cannot fathom the thought that the greatest nation in the world cannot figure out logistics for a small island of 100 miles by 35 miles long. So I am asking the President of the United States to make sure somebody is in charge that is up to the task of saving lives. If anybody out there is listening to us, we are dying and you are killing us with the inefficiency and the bureaucracy. We will make it with or without you. Because what stands behind me is all due to the generosity of other people. Again, this is what we got last night. Four pallets of water, three pallets of meals, and 12 pallets of infant food, which I gave them to Comerillo, where people are drinking off a creek. So I am done being And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs and our special guest correspondent, Joshua Clennon. And that was a clip of San Juan Mayor Carmen Cruz, who was literally begging for the U.S. federal government and the international community to help save the island of Puerto Rico post-Hurricane Maria. Now, as you heard, Mayor Cruz also rebuked uh, the Trump administration's ineffective response to the humanitarian crisis. Ironically, at the same time that Mayor Cruz was pleading for help, Donald Trump has been boasting about what a good job his administration is doing to help those suffering on the ground. And y'all's president also attacked Mayor Cruz and the people of Puerto Rico for daring to call on for more help for those in dire need. To make matters worse, on Saturday, while he sat Himself in his comfortable golf club in New Jersey, he accused Mayor Cruz of poor leadership. He also tweeted, and I quote, The mayor of San Juan, who was very complimentary only a few days ago, has now been told by the Democrats that you must be nasty to Trump. Such poor leadership ability by the mayor of San Juan and others in Puerto Rico 
who are not able to get their workers to help. They want everything to be done for them when it should be a community effort. End quote. Those are some of the tweets that 45, y'all's president, has been tweeting out. Now, the reality of this situation is that 3.5 million Americans are suffering without food, without water, without medicine, without shelter, and without electricity. Many people are dying due to the devastation, as well as uh, Mayor of San Juan has said. At least 16 people have been reported as dead already. And according to FEMA, only 5% of electricity has been restored. Just 33% of the telecommunications infrastructure is back up. And 50% of people are without water services. In comparison, I mean, we could just look back about how what happened uh, after Hurricane Irma in Florida or Hurricane Harvey in Texas. Uh, Trump didn't have this same response. He didn't say, y'all are lazy and you guys should be doing more. He didn't treat those American citizens like that at all. So, obviously, we're starting the show off talking about the devastation in Puerto Rico, as well as 45's response. We have a very special guest on the line who will be joining us for this conversation. His name is Ed Morales. He's a freelance writer who has been a longtime contributing writer to The Village Voice. His work has also appeared in Rolling Stone, The New York Times, The Guardian, and The Nation. In addition, he teaches at Columbia University's Center for the Study of Ethnicity and Race, and he co-directed a documentary titled Who's Barrario? about the gentrification of East Harlem. Welcome to the show, Ed. Hi, thanks for inviting me on today. Absolutely. So we're going to uh, start off. Uh, well, actually, I just started off the show just giving a, a brief uh, synopsis of what's been going on in Puerto Rico. Um, you know, the President Trump says the relief effort is going well. But Carmen uh, uh, Cruz, the mayor of San Juan, says it is inefficient and that the mainland has been extremely slow in uh, helping out the people of Puerto Rico. You know, Edward, Ed, you wrote a phenomenal piece about Puerto Rico. I know you have family in Puerto Rico right now. Uh, what What is your take on the disconnect between what Trump and his administration is doing and saying and what's actually going on? Well, I think it's typical of, you know, Trump tries to go the public relations route by saying everything is going great in a lot of things, you know, which are actually kind of a disaster areas, even in within the context of the U.S. government. Um, also, like, by uh, pushing back against uh, Mayor Cruz, well, he's several things. First, he's attacking her as a, a woman who criticizes him. Second, uh, he's using the old stereotypes about uh, welfare queens and talking about Puerto Rico as, uh, you know, not wanting to work or looking for handouts. And, uh, you know, it, it's just a horrible you know, situation, especially because, you know, the the generals that are on the ground are saying this is some of the worst stuff they've ever seen, and he's not even paying attention to what the military people say, and he's supposed to be such a proud uh, supporter of the military. So um, it's a terrible, you know, in the past, like, uh, Trump has been very disconnected in a very disturbing way, but this is even more disturbing because um, it's such a really bad uh, humanitarian crisis, like you pointed out, with the lack of water. That's the most serious thing right now. But there's so many other problems. 
Guys, if you're just tuning in, we have on the line with us Ed Morales. He is a writer, a contributing writer for uh, publications like The Nation and The New York Times. We're talking about the devastation in Puerto Rico and President Trump's response. Uh, as I said in my introduction, he tweeted out that Puerto Ricans want everything to be done for them when when I mean, it should be a community effort. Ed, what is your response to a tweet like that? Well, you know, uh, you know, as I said, I, I think he's playing to his base and in, in trying to justify his sluggish response by saying that uh, the the island is is filled with uh, with people who you know don't want to work and and who just want to depend completely on uh, government aid, you know. And then also, you know, like one of my pieces talked about, um, it's it's really about um, how Puerto Ricans are second class. Citizens, um, you know, they're not allowed to vote in presidential elections. Do not have voting representative representation in Congress, and are capped in entitlement. You know that U.S. citizens in the U.S. Uh, receive full entitlement um, as far as programs like SSI and SNAP um, and Medicaid, Medicare. But Puerto Rico has a cap on that. Um, the other thing I tried to point out in my piece is that. I think that Puerto Ricans share, you know, with many oppressed people in the United States, most notably African Americans and Native Americans, um, who are sort of uh, internally colonized in a way. And, uh, you know, I think that people should start making the connection between, um, you know, because people talk about how well these are American citizens, but there are also so many American citizens that live in the U.S. that also receive similar treatment, like the people who drowned in the middle of Katrina, you know, under a president that people are now comparing favorably to Trump, who was uh, President Bush. Absolutely. And I just want to also point out what really struck me about that tweet in particular is is the racially coded language. They not doing enough. Like, it, it sounds like he's insinuating that Puerto Ricans want handouts while they're in a time of crisis, like they're lazy. And we know that historically, this type of language has been used to stereotype people of color, like basically saying that they're lazy and they're, they're not doing enough for themselves when these are American citizens. And I'm not sure if Donald Trump knows that. I know that half the country did not know that Puerto Ricans are American citizens, but we shouldn't be cascading them off like that and ostracizing them when they're a part of our country. Um, Alyssa, I know you wanted to jump into the conversation here. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is, we literally have a five-year-old in charge right now. He's talking about that Puerto Rico is like this island in the middle of a big ocean and that it's surrounded by water as if, one, we're idiots and we don't know that Puerto Rico is an island, and two, as if it's in the middle of the ocean, which it is absolutely not, and three, as if there was no way for us to get supplies there, uh, logistically speaking, when for three days people were literally begging him on Twitter to respond, to just tweet something about Puerto Rico, and there was three days' worth of tweets about the NFL— and about other things, but not one tweet about Puerto Rico. Not anything was being done. And finally, after three days of people begging, that's when he finally spoke out on Twitter. God knows if he was even doing anything in the Oval Office. He's been golfing at Bedminster. Uh, I mean, literally, we have the five-year-old in chief. He does not get anything done. These are American citizens. In fact, I heard this morning that the water has actually gone down. At some point, it was 44% people, the percent of people that did not have safe and clean drinking water. 
And now today, this morning, it was up to 55% of clean water and uh, people who did not have clean drinking water. This is unacceptable in a civilized nation to treat your own citizens like this. This did not happen when it came to Texas. This did not happen when it came to Florida. Why is this happening when it comes to Puerto Rico? It's happening because Donald Trump does not care about brown people. There, I said it. You were waiting for your con moment. I said it. That's what's going on. That's exactly what's going on. He's delusional. He has no idea what he's doing, and he doesn't care about brown people. Joshua. I think this also shows how scary and racist his entire administration is because it's, it's baffling that, you know, his whole team wasn't around him like, you need to jump on this. Like, remember when Hurricane Irma came, the, you know, they sent they sent Trump down to Texas while they all huddled together and came up with a, a plan, a relief plan. That didn't happen for Puerto Rico. So it's, it's not just that Trump didn't care. Like, his whole administration did not care. And that is insane. <laughs> Absolutely. And I want to get Ed back into the conversation. You know, we feel extremely passionate about that here. And and I just wanted to see if you had any response to what has been said. Well, yeah, um, you know, I agree with all of that. And, you know, and uh, one of the things that I wrote in the in the piece that I wrote is that going all the way back to the beginning of the 20th century, there was a, a case called uh, Downs versus Bidwell, um, which is one of the reasons why they the justification they use not to uh, consider Puerto Rico admit, uh, to be admitted as a state. Um, and they, they said that uh, uh, Puerto Rico belonged to but was not part of the United States. But when I researched that, I found that um, some of the judges who ruled on that decision were also ruled on Plessy versus Ferguson, which established the separate but equal document. So, I mean, uh, precedent. So, I mean, it's... Um, it's a kind of uh, this this legal way that uh, justification for um, racism and discrimination, which you know, even though people say it's in the past, it's still haunting us now. I would also add too that a lot of people in our community, in the Puerto Rican community, were complaining a lot last week that the mainstream media um, also did not have any uh, talk on on the Sunday talk shows about the crisis in Puerto Rico, and it really was. I think the you know the dramatic uh, appearances of uh, Mayor Cruz that kind of set a lot of stuff off in terms of people really paying attention to it. Of course, it was also the evolution of the you know uncovering of what was going on in the crisis. You know, because before that, they you know there was no power and there were there weren't that many images and stuff. And so, also since that's picked up, that's another thing that's happened. Yes, absolutely. And another thing that I think we saw is. Unfortunately, but Donald Trump actually galvanized a lot of attention and media around this issue with his tweets. And, you know, he's done that uh, consistently throughout his administration and his campaign. Whatever he decides to put focus on, whether negative or positive, that's where the media goes. So, you know, Ed is spot on to say that the mayor of San Juan literally had to plead not only for help from the U.S. federal government, but for press coverage. She said that in that speech. She was like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm urging the press to pay attention to this issue and to help us. Uh, but on that note, we do need to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We will continue the conversation about the devastation in Puerto Rico with our very special guest, Ed Morales. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard 
right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. My name is Selena Hill. I'm here with my co-host, Alyssa Fuchs, and our very special guest co-host, Joshua Clennon. We also have on the line with us Ed Morales. He is a contributing writer for The Nation. He just wrote a moving piece that was published a few days ago. It's titled, Puerto Rico's Need Puerto Rico Needs Massive Emergency Aid Now. And an end to austerity. So, Ed, we you know before we left off break, we talked about you know what's going on, the humanitarian crisis, and just Trump's lack of empathy and uh, almost and his stupidity around this issue of Puerto Rico and how to help people in crisis. And I want to shift gears a, a little bit to, to talk about this piece you wrote because it really focuses on austerity and just the economic crisis that Puerto Rico has been facing for uh, the past few years, uh, which has, um, you know, just become even worse now that Hurricane uh, Maria has hit. So in this piece that you wrote, you write, and I quote, it is time for Washington to abandon its austerity approach to Puerto Rico. What do you mean by that? And, and let's just focus on, on the piece and the angle you took. Okay, well, you know, last year um, the Congress uh, made this law called uh, PROMESA, which is the Spanish translation for a promise. And with that, and it was uh, meant to uh, to restructure the debt that Puerto Rico had, which is seventy-two billion dollars. Um, that debt is mostly from selling these bonds. Um, also, all these different companies. And authorities in, in Puerto Rico that were part of the government also sold bonds. Um, a lot of the the problem with the accumulation of that debt is because uh, the Wall Street banks uh, really uh, pushed a lot of people into some bad decisions, and there were some collaborators in the Puerto Rico government that acted poorly. Um, but it's really not that different from you know what people know as payday loans or as what happened in the mortgage crisis in 2008 when people were pushed into taking uh, mortgage, mortgage loans where the interest rate suddenly exploded after three years or something like that, adjusted rate mortgages. So um, a lot of the problem with this debt is that a lot of it is really unfair, and there's been a lot of people who wanted to investigate it, and, and there's been some evidence that um, there's some illegalities to the debt that should be thrown out. However, this PROMESA board, which they put into place, it's called a Fiscal Oversight and Management Board, which now um, makes all the decisions for the budget in uh, Puerto Rico. They have been, you know, discouraging this process and instead really is pushing for all kinds of cuts in government services, including government jobs, and then that's what the austerity means. They... uh, they voted recently to to put government workers on furlough for uh, two days a month um, and take away end of the year bonuses, and also they uh, want to uh, increase uh, taxes. People are now paying an 11.5 percent sales tax, which is you know high, much higher than here in New York City, which is a very expensive place. So. The problem is that uh, the the government really, you know, Bernie Sanders had this idea that rather than have this board that was essentially like a debt collection agency, to uh, to have the government, you know, buy up uh, some some a lot of the debt and then, um, you know, uh, allow Puerto Rico to pay back the debt at more reasonable terms and also cut out some of these vulture fund speculators. Let me explain briefly what the vulture fund speculators are. 
there are people that buy up a debt. It's sort of like if you have an old student loan debt and then they call, you know, these other people take it over. Well, if you owed $15,000 in a student loan, these other people, they buy it for like $1,000, but they want to collect the entire $15,000, you see. So this is what these vulture funds do. They bought these bonds that were devalued at about, you know, 25 cents on the dollar from what they were originally issued at, and then they now want to collect the full amount. And so that's what Bernie Sanders wanted to cut out that kind of profit. And uh, so, you know, this was not even considered in the Congress last year. Instead, they, they passed this uh, PROMESA bill, and, you know, that's what I'm saying, that this arrangement should be revised in some way that, you know, because at this point, you know, how are you going to get this island which can barely engage in, like, productive activity because almost, you know, everything is really leveled to the ground? Um, how are they going to, you know, reasonably pay back from what they had planned already, which is already going to make a lot of working people suffer. So that's what I'm saying about the politics of austerity should end. Absolutely. And, you know, when Donald Trump talked about Puerto Rico's debt, it, it sounded like he was almost victim-blaming. Like, like, what was your take well, on this? Yeah. yeah, what was your take on that? Well, I mean, you know, Donald Trump has a lot of friends on Wall Street, you know, despite the fact that he campaign that he was going to drain the swamp and that elites weren't going to be in charge. I mean, he put all these people from Goldman Sachs, you know, in key positions in his government. So he wants to protect those interests. You know, another thing that uh, hasn't been reported much in the media is that even though, you know, the San Juan mayor has attacked him, she's from a different party than the governor, who also lives in San Juan, you know, because that's where the capital is. And the governor is in a party that's trying to be very friendly with Trump. And so we're going to start to see this when Trump shows up. He's going to be surrounding himself with uh, the governor and uh, what they call the resident commissioner, who is the non-voting representative in, con in Congress that Puerto Ricans have. See, like uh, Puerto Rico has someone that goes to Congress and they sort of act like a representative, but they actually don't get to vote. But they, they sit there in all the meetings and they take part in the process, but they don't vote. So these two people are people that Trump is going to surround himself. So in a, it's another way of interpreting like his attacks on the San Juan mayor, because the governor and that party, which they say they want statehood, um, which is very unlikely to be granted, because if Puerto Rico becomes a state, it's going to be like all this huge expenditure for the federal government that they're not going to want to have. But I think that this party is there really to help the Republicans and the Trump administration to, you know, continue to have like an authoritarian, uh, austerity-driven government. And so I think that that's what's going on. You'll see that next Tuesday when he shows up in Puerto Rico. Absolutely. Now, Alyssa, I know we were getting some comments on our Facebook Live. Yeah, we are. Um, we have a comment from a James Tabor, and he said, um, I pose the idea that maybe Trump is delaying helping on purpose to distract from what him and his party are doing to destroy the Constitution. Um, I actually think that's a good comment. I think that part of everything with Donald Trump is that everything's sort of a sideshow. And by him doing certain things or not doing certain things and getting people upset about them distracts from other things that are going on. But I also think that on the other hand, this is just like 
a mess because Trump, like I said, doesn't know how the government functions and doesn't know how to make government function the right way because he has no experience. Um, but getting back into the conversation about about Puerto Rico and about the disaster and about what's going on, um, I guess my question for Ed is twofold, um, which is one. Um, you know, yes, we spoke a lot about Puerto Rico's debt um, and about Promesa um, just in a, a few minutes ago. But what does that have anything to do with the fact that they need disaster relief? Like, for example, um, Texas has been in the red. Uh, you know, I think actually they may be in the blue now, but Texas has been in the red before. Florida has been in the red before. Trump didn't say anything about whether or not these two states were in debt when determining um, when whether or not they should get disaster relief. And I guess the way I'm looking at it is this is totally a completely separation, separate and distinct issue from that of the debt issue. Um, and so I don't even know why that's becoming a consideration, number one. And number two, I was hoping that you could also speak about the Jones Act uh, for a little bit. It took the Trump administration quite a while to waive that. From what I understand, that law prevents uh, ships that are not U.S. ships from bringing or uh, go- goods down to Puerto Rico. So I was hoping that you could expand on that a little bit for our listeners. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, first I, I would just like to say that, you know, the, the debt is there because, you know, I mean, that doesn't go away, you know, even and uh even with the disaster, but you're certainly right that it's a completely racist and dismissive thing that he has done by, you know, qualifying the the response to, you know, the fact that there's money being owed. Yeah, I mean, it's disgusting I and mean, it's almost beneath the uh, comment. But the thing is, the uh, the Jones Act, uh, yeah. So uh, that is you. You explained it uh, perfectly, um, and uh, that that's the law. And but in, in the long term, it really has. Uh, Done bad things for the Puerto Rican economy and for the for the cost of living, because the U.S. then has this monopoly on uh, ships going in. Because the other ships from uh, foreign countries get they, they have these huge tariffs put on them, so it's not competitive. You know, getting goods from other countries into Puerto Rico, and that helps make it like what it is. You know, which is Puerto Rico is a consumer dumping ground for the U.S., you know, where almost everything there that's sold is U.S. products. I mean, all of the stores, almost all, you know, they have really wiped out local businesses. There's a lot left, but, I mean, Puerto Rico is dominated by Walmarts. Um, there's a study that said that uh, there's more Walmarts per square mile in Puerto Rico than anywhere else in the world. All the other chains, all the fast food chains, everything is there. You find a very recognizable Sometimes you go to Puerto Rico and it kind of looks like, you know, Queens or, or East Los Angeles, you know. Um, and so the Jones Act, though, they suspended it and he was slow in doing it. Um, but, you know, the problem is that uh, they did get a lot of goods in there. And the, the really big problem is that most of the stuff is stuck in the ports and they're having trouble getting enough uh, drivers because uh, a lot of people have become homeless. You know, uh, anybody who had a roof that uh, was not concrete, uh, most likely it flew off, and that's another huge uh, crisis that's going to develop is that a lot of people have lost their homes, and so a lot of the people who live in those homes were truck drivers. And so we can see how these disasters disproportionately affect um, lower-income people because also right now they're saying that, you know, the hotels, they have the generators, and, you know, you you can fly down there and sit on the beach and, you know, still have a vacation, you know. 
So, uh, and a lot of we have to remember too that there's a lot of uh, wealthier people on the island who have these generators these, that allow them to have electricity in their homes. So, uh, the, also the thing about the Jones Act is that there's a little bit of a misconception. A lot of in that New York Times op-ed that came out, the writer said that uh, you know uh, it, it pushed the price of goods almost double the price of goods. Well, I mean, he really should have been more careful and said that it's really just. Things like cars and really large goods, because you know I go there all the time, and I wrote an article about it for the Guardian, and there's really is about a, a 10 to 15 percent markup, and it's been shown in several studies that the cost of living in Puerto Rico is about 10 to 15 percent higher than uh, most cities in the United States. Guys, if you're just tuning in, this is Let Your Voice Be Heard. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs, Joshua Clennon. We have Ed Morales from The Nation on the line, and we are talking about the devastation in Puerto Rico. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to call us up at 212-650-6903. You can also keep your comments coming on our Facebook Live. Joshua? Um, I guess my question is uh, for Ed, what do you see next for the people of uh, Puerto Rico? Do you see like a mass migration um, to the states uh, where these people could potentially become voters in the next election? Um, the rebuilding in Puerto Rico, who do you see as major players? Do you see like a lot of, you know, outside investors coming in to, to rebuild Puerto Rico, maybe making it, you know, like a new gentrified Puerto Rico, kind of like what they're doing in all all metropolitan cities in the country right now? Yeah, those are great questions. Um, the migration had been going on already, you know, uh, for the last uh, five to ten years. Um, it's being compared to the same amount of people that came in the most famous period of Puerto Rican migration, which was between 1945 and 1960. That's called the Great Migration, and that's the one that brought my parents to New York. But um, this is going to accelerate that process of people coming to the United States. Most Puerto Ricans are going to uh, Florida and Texas, you know, which are important states. But we shouldn't be fooled that, uh, you know, even though maybe the majority of them, you know, will vote Democrat. I mean, Puerto Ricans have a lot of different kind of political tendencies. And sometimes they come to the United States and become Republicans. So it's no guarantee. Um, the other thing was about uh, the gentrification, right? Is that was your other question? Um, and uh, right, and who's going to develop? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, because of the Republican administration, and this would happen whether it was Trump or not. I mean, the Republican administration is going to um, try to make it uh, an opportunity for uh, you know private developers and and not do something, you know, like have a massive government infusion, which is what I call for in the nation. I just did that because I felt it was the only responsible thing to call for. But, yeah, um, you know, there's something that uh, Naomi Klein called disaster capitalism, which happened in Katrina, too. I mean, that's a classic example of how in downtown uh, New Orleans or in, in some of the historically African-American communities, People were forced out. People who lived in houses that were destroyed. Uh, a public housing, you know, was raised, um, you know, knocked down, and then this created uh, opportunities for private development. So this thing about uh, gentrifying Puerto Rico was already beginning to happen. You know, you had billionaires going down there and buying up, uh, you know, uh, waterfront property, 
And um, so, yeah, this will unfortunately most likely uh, accelerate the process. But one thing I will say is that Puerto Ricans on the island, you know, they really love and want to protect the island. And this is really from all social classes. This is from poor people and middle class people to, you know, the elites and the universities and in the art world. And there's going to be a lot of resistance to this. You know, this is not going to take anybody by surprise. And uh, it's not going to be an easy process, you know. And, and I think in general, you know, people around the country and around the world are a little bit more organized uh, to, to make this resistance, this kind of uh, profiteering. Absolutely. Um, before we let you go, Ed, uh, there's there's another part in your article that I wanted to address. Uh, it's about how Puerto Rico can be re-stimulated and uh, re- revitalized at this point. I mean, uh, you talk about how in 1928 and 1932, when Puerto Rico was struck by deadly hurricanes, Franklin Roosevelt, he actually implemented the Puerto Rican Reconstruction Administration. He established that, and that created jobs and built schools, medical facilities, etc. cetera. Um, what would you say is the best way or the best steps uh, to implement this type of growth and revitalization uh, moving forward? Well, yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, I, I think that that, you know, would be the best uh, step, would be, you know, just real government investment in uh, rebuilding re- infrastructure, rebuilding the communication system, uh, investing in, in schools um, and housing. You know, this would create a lot of jobs. Um, it doesn't seem like that's what the Republicans have been pushing for, and it's kind of strange to me because, you know, when you get someone like Trump talking about wanting to make America great again, I mean, you know, what the the period that America was probably the greatest was, you know, uh, when they recovered from the Depression in the 1930s and then went to fight World War II, and that was under Roosevelt. Now, we have to remember that Roosevelt, with all those great programs, did not benefit, you know, people of color as much as, you know, the white working class. But, you know, that same idea with, uh, with uh, you know, better, you know, with less racism or, or with no racism and really, you know, embracing people of color, you know, is really, uh, it's really needed because, you know, in a sense, like, I, I don't see how the private sector is going to, start from, you know, with absolutely nothing, you know, I mean, because the infrastructure is in really in shambles. There's a lot of people without homes. The roads, you know, need to be reconstructed. You know, I, I don't see how uh, the private sector can handle that by itself or even would find that profitable because that's what they want, profit. It almost you need the government to at least set up a base for, you know, profit to be made eventually, you know, by private co- corporations. Absolutely, Ed. And before we let you go, we also want uh, to give you a chance to let our listeners know how they can read uh, your writings and get in touch with you. Okay, yeah. Um, I maintain a, a blog on uh, the address is uh, www.edmorales.net. Um, you can also reach me through uh, Columbia University Center for Study of Ethnicity and Race. And uh, I also have a show on WBAI uh, once a month uh, 
on Thursdays from 10 to 12 where I, I play music and mix in some political commentary. Thank you again, Ed. We definitely appreciate your expertise and your commentary and joining us here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Hey, thank you. You're doing a great job. Thank you. And guys, uh, before we wrap up this conversation, I just want to throw it back to the panel. Uh, last question being, what is the best way that we can help Puerto Ricans at this time? Alyssa? Right. So, I mean, New York is actually doing a fair amount. Um, I, from what I understand, uh, the governor chartered a private plane that a lot of state troopers are going down there. But in terms of what you can do um, as just a citizen to help if you're not uh, a first responder, if you're not able to actually go down to Puerto Rico, um, there are a number of charities that are accepting donations. Um, two of the best ones to donate to is uh, Unidos by the Hispanic Federation. It's a coalition of elected officials from New York and Puerto Rico, um, and it was launched to provide relief funds for Puerto Ricans affected by Hurricane Maria. Um, you can, again, that's U-N-I-D-O-S. If you Google that or if you Google the Hispanic Federation, you'll be able to find that fund. Um, there is also a fund called Unidos por Puerto Rico, my... Um, um, in my gringo Spanish, um, and that's U-N-I-D-O-S, poor, P-O-R, Puerto Rico. That is an initiative that was started by Beatrice Rossello. She's the first lady of Puerto Rico. It is enlisting private sector help in providing aid to those affected by Hurricane Irma and Hurricane Maria. They are accepting donations through a variety of means, including through PayPal. Um, and what I will say is, before you make a donation, check. Um, you can check there is a way to make sure that the place you are donating to, um, that it's called Charity Now. Navigator. It is a good resource to make sure how uh, you understand how the group you're donating to will or will not spend your money. Um, and there's also, lastly, another group, which is One America Appeal, and that is all five living former presidents have united. Uh, that was set up by George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Jimmy Carter, Barack Obama, and one other person I'm forgetting. Oh, George H.W. Bush. So that is definitely going to be a good charity um, that will be able to get resources. So I would say they really need money right now. And also, if you have a way to donate, actual goods like food or water, um, you should definitely hook up with the charities. I know they were collecting supplies right here in New York City yesterday at the Javits Center. Selena? Uh, Joshua, how do you? How would you say is, is any way that we can help Puerto Ricans? Um, well, all the, the ways that she just mentioned, um, I'd say I see a lot of people, um, you know, setting up um, donations on Facebook and, and things of that nature. That's great. Um you know, t if you can take a trip down there and help on the ground, if you can, that'd be that'd be beautiful. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. I've went to Puerto Rico two times before the devastation, and I am extremely disheartened about the the culture. Just you, you know, like it's such a strong culture there, and I don't want it that to 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 die out. And as Ed Morales, our our guest, said, like you know, the U.S. has been privatizing and uh, Americanizing obviously this american territory but it's like we don't want to lose that culture uh on that note i do want to just end things by saying this is definitely a time of crisis uh, more than three million americans are living in puerto rico but our president 45 i mean y'all's president he decided to pick a fight with the quote-unquote fake news meaning cnn and nbc and the mayor of san juan he spent 11 hours tweeting 18 times blaming uh, and victim blaming 
this island for its own devastation. He was totally devoid of any empathy or any inspiration. It was basically Trumpism on full display. And I think what he is doing and what he has proven to do is continue to divide this country i mean like in the bible it says like a house divided cannot stand it's like he's dividing to conquer and i don't know what his end goal is but this is a time for us to come together whether we're black latino mexican american whatever however we happen to identify we must come together and put pressure on this administration to at least do what's right uh, at times of crisis Politics aside, it doesn't matter who you voted for. People are literally dying. But because of Trump's inefficiency and the bureaucracy uh, surrounding his administration, they won't even help these uh, people, these babies, these children, the elderly, people that don't have water and shelter. It's, it's honestly, it's, it's reprehensible. But we have a voice. We have a vote. And if you can spare a couple dollars, definitely donate to the to organizations that Alyssa mentioned. And if you are one of the privileged few like myself who can take a trip to Puerto Rico, don't just go for luxury and vacation. Let's go to rebuild and help these people. On that note, we do have to take another quick break, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, it's football Sunday. So we'll be talking about the NFL take a knee protest right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.5. The Voice of Harlem. I'm Selena Hill. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs and Joshua Cunning. Jackie Cohen has Sunday off and Stanley is, I don't know where. He's being, he's somewhere being a loser. Working he's not in here. air quotes. Yeah, whatever, Stanley. So this is time for us to talk about some of the news stories of the week that moved us. Whether that moved us to take a knee in protest or maybe it moved us and inspired us in some way. So what new stories do we have this week that moved us, Alyssa? Uh, OJ got out of jail last night. That's true. Yay. He did. So not- he could watch football today. <laughs> <laughs> you, For the first point. time in like 10 years. Um, yeah. So OJ was released last night from, uh, just after midnight. Um, so he is a free man, sort of. He's on parole. So that means he still has some conditions he has to comply with. Um, but apparently they have not gotten word from California or from Florida whether or not they will accept his parole. So from what I understand right now, he has to still be in Nevada because he cannot leave Nevada until his parole is approved to be transferred. Um, so, yeah, that that's a fun story that is about football, but that's not about the NFL. That happened yesterday or today, actually. Why are they, why are they hating on OJ so much? Hold on. Are you, def- are you an OJ apologist? I'm not an OJ apologist, but I mean... Give the man a break. He served his time. Let him live. That's true. Let him live. He only did nine out of the 33 years for armed robbery. So he he did armed robbery to steal his own stuff. I mean, sheesh, give the man a break. Let him live life. So you don't think OJ did it? You don't think he killed his wife? I don't care if he did or not. I don't care. Let him live. He that, got away that, with it. Well, that, like, that, listen, people get away with murder. stuff no, every day. He got acquitted. White collar criminals, they get away with murder. I mean, the people who bankrupted the, the nation, who caused the financial collapse in 2008, they all got away with it and got payoffs. Let OJ live. I mean, murder is still murder. Look, I am not for listen, capitalism you don't know in that if he way. did it or not. Let him <laughs> live. Listen, he got acquitted. He got acquitted. A jury said, nope. He was acquitted. Now, they said he's not guilty. Now, not guilty and innocent are not the same thing necessarily. True. Who cares? Um, but Casey nonetheless, got away with he murder. was acquitted, 
And that's the end of that story. And this had something to do with something else, with this this issue that happened in Las Vegas. And he did his time. Um, and you know, he you know he he did the crime. He did his time. Now he's getting out. And if he doesn't violate his probation, I agree. Like, let the man live, guys. If you're listening and you don't support or defend OJ. You can call us up at 212-650-6903. I mean, the media doesn't go around following Kesey Anthony. That's true. I mean, I, I understand the point taken. That was a baby. Taken. Her own baby. <laughs> Look, a life is a life. A life <laughs> is a, a life. Baby, though, your oh my God. own baby? A life is a Come life. Come on. That's all that is. Right, right, right. No, no, a life is a life if you're a conservative, except for when it's actual human beings dying in Puerto Rico. Pro-life, they're like, oh, what's that? We don't hand out welfare to people. No, it's uh, But that's right just the that. hypocrisy of conservatives. Speaking of um, hypocrisy and sort of democracy and, and, and stuff that's going on in the rest of the world, there was actually a referendum this morning in Spain, um, in Catalonia, where the Catalan people who are... Uh, sort of uh, the indigenous people of Spain, um, sort of like the Native Americans, they had a vote or tried to have a vote this morning uh, to separate from Spain. And the Spanish uh, government responded by sending tanks um, And because they tried to prevent them from the vote. They told them that the vote was illegal, that they were not allowed to hold this vote, even though it was technically non-binding. Uh, from what I understand, um, the Catalans decided they were going to hold the vote. They held sit-ins in schools all nights on all weekends. In fact, they removed the doors off of schools so that the police could not show up and bolt those doors closed. Right now, they're reporting about 40, uh, 400 plus injuries in conflicts and clashes with the police. Um, and they're also saying that nobody knows what the actual outcome of this vote's going to be. But either way, we don't know what's going to come of it. Um, but it is interesting to see this indigenous group to this region of Spain say, you know, we want to have our own country um, at the, you know, and, and talk about how that relates to imperialism and, Amer- and even how that relates to America uh, controlling Puerto Rico. Absolutely. Uh, Joshua, have you been following that? Uh, no, that's the first time I'm hearing about that. That's very interesting. Well, that's it, very interesting. Well, I think like the larger issue here is uh, domination and imperialism uh, from Eurocentric or European people or groups, basically white people taking over other people's land. And then you have these uprisings. Right. And, and so, like, I, I I'm really encouraged by the indigenous people of Spain and um, the progress that they're making to just reclaim and to to just let the world know that I'm here and they deserve rights. And uh, speaking of people that deserve rights and the right to speak out, uh, that brings us to the take a knee protest. So Donald Trump uh, has also been tweeting for the last, I don't know, days. It's like the only thing he tweets about. Yeah, it's like he's so preoccupied with how these majority black uh, athletes are peacefully protesting on the field. They're taking a knee or they're locking arms and they're basically saying, look, this is not about disrespecting the flag. This is us saying we're tired of social injustice. Joshua? You know what I hate? How this whole thing has just become... A distraction. It's like a proxy war. It's, yeah, it's, it's just nonsense at this point. The the whole taking a knee thing don't even mean anything anymore. I mean, you got Jerry Jones with the players taking a knee before the anthem and then standing with the anthem. Like, what kind of... What like, is that? They just made a mockery of the whole protest. The NFL players are weak. Um, You know, I'm just disgusted by the whole thing. They're just... It's just a mockery. 
Right. I mean, listen, here's the thing about like the First Amendment. The First Amendment doesn't apply to the NFL. The NFL as an organization is a private organization. They can tell their players, you have to stand for the anthem. Otherwise, you won't play. The players could also all kneel. And then I don't know what they would do, because if everybody is suspended, then there's no football to watch, because if you suspend everybody, then there's nobody to actually play. Um, So that also becomes an interesting issue, which is what people have pointed out with basketball, which is the basketball commissioner of the NBA came out and said, you're not allowed to kneel for the anthem in the NBA. And somebody said yesterday, well, what happens if everybody kneels? Then is the basketball commissioner going to say, okay, the NBA's canceled this season? I don't know. Um, but here's where it gets sketchy, which is when you have the president tweeting out about this and sorting trying to influence things, then there becomes this interesting question about where the First Amendment starts apply. Because the First Amendment applies whenever the government does something to dictate what you can and cannot say. So if Donald Trump is acting as a government actor on behalf of the government as the president and is now berating players, um, that's all right, because Donald Trump also has a First Amendment right and he has a, an opinion. He's entitled to have an opinion, even if we disagree with it. But when that opinion sort of goes over into, you know, dictating what players can and can't do, then it starts to become this interesting issue is, is the First Amendment now applicable? Uh, and just an, also an aside, I want to remind people, like, for what it's worth, the flag is a symbol. Um, you know, like, it, 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 it's a symbol. It doesn't really mean, it doesn't stand actually for anything. What stands for anything and everything is the Constitution itself. And if you really care about this country and respecting the ideals and the values of America, then then you should respect people's uh, determination to stand or to kneel or to pledge or not to pledge because that's what America is about. That's what the First Amendment is about. It's right. not about some flag and whether it's disrespectful to veterans to stand or to not stand. It's about justice. It's about equality. And it's about the ability to speak out or take a knee or not take a knee or pledge or not pledge without the government interfering with your First Amendment right to do it. Right. That is the promise of America. That is the promise of our Constitution. And we should not forget that. I don't think anyone really actually cares about that. You, we keep having this argument with people, oh, like, well, the protest is not about the flag. It's not about the anthem. But, you know, that's like the argument for racists. You know, they, they always need a cover argument, something to disguise their racism. And that's what it is. Oh, you're disrespecting the flag. You're disrespecting the troops. Nobody honestly really cares about that. If you like, If you're going by, like, you're not even supposed to wear the flag as clothing. You're not supposed to... To where the put the flag on advertisement. These are actual like flag codes where like it's a it's supposed to be illegal, I guess. But like it was ruled on uncon- those laws were all ruled unconstitutional. Okay. But if you really respected the flag so much, you wouldn't do that. Right. Well, and also, I want to say that what's happening here is also setting precedent for how student athletes are uh, speaking out. And there was a case, I forget which state, but two high school students, thank you, in Texas decided to take a knee during the flag and they were kicked off the field. And I think they were actually suspended, not only from the game, but from the team. And the coach happened to be a military veteran. He told them ahead of time, look, you're gonna you're going to stand during this national anthem, or you're gonna have a lawsuit. Really? Yeah, I'm gonna tell. Is that is that legal? Yeah, no. So if if it's a private school, which I do not believe it is, then no. If it's a private school, a private school can tell any of their students to do whatever they want, whenever they want. There was just recently um, a school on Long Island that said your students have to also stand for the anthem. But if it's a public school, then 
the First Amendment applies because a public school is the arm of the government. Um, and so a public school is very much restricted in what they can tell students to do and, and not to do. Um, so, for example, in a case that dates back to the 1940s, West Virginia Bar- versus Barnett, the government ruled that it was absolutely 100 percent unconstitutional for a public school to force students to pledge or to stand for an anthem and that students could not be suspended, could not be punished for failing to do that. Now, this becomes a more interesting question in terms of a football team because a football team is sort of I want to say in some ways a privilege, right? Your school does not have to have a sports team. They do not have to let you play on a sports team. If your grades are not good, then they can tell you you're not allowed to be on a sports team. So in some ways, the school may argue, well, this isn't part of regular school. This is an extracurricular activity. And because it's an extracurricular activity, we can put certain restrictions on it. On the other hand, um, what the plaintiffs, assuming they do bring a lawsuit, may argue in this case is that um, because this is a public school, the public school is not allowed to restrict their First Amendment rights, and they are not allowed to suspend them or to kick them off the football team for exercising those rights and failing to take an, uh, you know, and failing to stand for the anthem. If a court agrees with them, then not only are is the school going to have to reinstate them um, and obviously not suspend them from school, the school may also be liable to them for, for for damages, for monetary damages for violating their First Amendment rights. Well, well, that's interesting. And speaking of taking the and uh, just speaking out, uh, so Joshua's favorite rapper, uh, Jay-Z, actually mm-hmm. decided instead of taking a knee last night, he wore a jersey, a custom-made jersey uh, with Colin Kaepernick's name on the back of his jersey while he performed at SNL. Uh, and I think um, he had Damon Marley perform with him, too. Yeah, they did. Um, Bam. Bam. They did Bam last night. So, you know what? And I honestly, like, I'm, I'm extremely supportive. There was a lot of speculation that Jay-Z also turned down performing at the Super Bowl this year. Uh, because of the controversy around it. I heard that Justin Timberlake uh, is also in the running and he might actually perform. But like, what do you guys say about like all the celebrities who have been speaking out and also being criticized? I don't really think they're doing a whole lot. I mean, Jay-Z turning on the Super Bowl. Okay, you just turn it on a check. Somebody else going to do the Super Bowl. I mean, I mean, but <laughs> at least he said no. Yeah, I mean, but listen, here's the thing. <laughs> like, yeah, he he's turning no. he's turning down a check, that's true, but then he's also it's like when I decide I'm not gonna go eat at Chick-fil-A, right? It's like everybody tells me I'm missing out on really, really, really good chicken, but I'm like, I'm not spending my money there. Well, it's sort of the flip side of that. Jay Z does not have to accept money from people he doesn't want. And does that mean, yeah, he's turning down money? But at the same time, he's like, Guess what? I don't want your damn money. So if he doesn't want that money, you're right. Somebody else is gonna do it. But he's like, I'm not gonna be the face of that and what's going on there i'm going to continue to speak out against those injustices you know celebrities for what it's worth they're americans they have equal opportunity just like just because you know you know like you don't have to be jim bob who waves the confederate flag who sits on the couch all day down in alabama to have a first amendment opinion on something like why is it that celebrities aren't allowed to say things they're americans also i can speak out on the radio no, i'm I, not anybody I think so a better like, better response would be if he performed at the super bowl and took that whole big super bowl check that was going to give him it's like multi million dollars and then just give it to to the movement or something like that. Like That's well, fair. I well, I mean, honestly, I would have loved if they could have did if Jay Z would have performed, uh Beyonce could have did another rendition of her Malcolm X salute. Remember she did that when she did formation? Oh, you just want to piss people off. And then bring right. out Colin Kaepernick off, yeah. to kneel 
the whole time. I actually, I kind of exactly. like that. I'm and not, then give the money I'm not to Black that. Lives Matter. I'm not against Wouldn't, that. Like, Jay, yeah, see? Yeah, like, he could have been a lot more creative, you know? I mean, you're <laughs> always knocking Jay-Z, though, but I, I, I agree that uh, definitely celebrities speaking out in any form is definitely something we need right now because they're using their influence for the better social good. Uh, on that note, we do have to wrap things up, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, we'll be speaking about Donald Trump's tax reform proposal and that devastation right here on let your voice be heard and we are back this is let your voice be heard right here on whcr 90.3 fm the voice of harlem hey save the debates for there guys uh so i see my co-hosts are very excited to talk about donald trump's tax proposal um so let me just let you guys know what's been happening in the last few days so uh donald trump described this as a giant beautiful massive the biggest ever in our country tax cut that's what y'all's president has been calling his tax proposal um, it would reduce corporate rates and collapse individual brackets from uh, seven to three. So basically, he wants to simplify the tax code and reduce it. Uh, supposedly, that would make it easier for everybody because, you know, taxes are pretty complicated. Democrats, on the other hand, saying that, you know what, it offers very little relief to the middle class and it would mainly benefit corporations that means the business the business companies the business people and the wealthy uh donald trump could save one billion dollars but some warn warn that the deficit could eventually explode now the senate budget committee unveiled uh, a 2018 budget blueprint that would shield the tax cut and estimated 1.5 trillion or more over the next decade so let me but let me just give you guys a little bit more uh information about what exactly donald trump is trying to propose here so the plan would likely add to america's uh 20 trillion dollar debt there are lots of tax cuts uh, uh basically uh spelled out and there are almost no none of the tax loopholes that corporations and the wealthy uh used right now would be eliminated uh, so again the rich would make out pretty well uh, Donald Trump however he says that poor people will not have to pay more than what they do now but there are a few specifics in the plan uh, and there are a few specifics in the plan to ensure that uh, again businesses small and large which could be a good thing if you're a small business owner uh, they would get major tax cuts uh, but most people would pay lower taxes although it is not clear if the rich will get a bigger a bigger break than exactly the middle class so like Behind the scenes, Joshua actually said off air, tax plan isn't that bad. I didn't say that. I'm sorry. Let me put that. I said it's not all bad. What do you mean by that? There's Okay, so let's start with the things I don't like about it. Um, The tax cuts for the rich. I mean, if you're making $400,000, you shouldn't be paying the, the, the same percentage of taxes as somebody who's making billions or millions of dollars. That's just ridiculous. Um, the other thing, there's still a lot of details to hash out uh, Congress does um, regarding how they're going to cover all these tax cuts, where they're also going to draw all this revenue from. That's unclear. The thing I do like about it are the tax cuts for, you know, for S-class corporations, sole proprietorships that I think will really help um, small business owners, people who want to be entrepreneurs. Um, and the the standard deductions for single people with no children 
And single, I think married persons with one children will actually be higher. If you have two more, if you have two children, then you're kind of losing out on on uh, on income that you would get back in your tax returns. But in for those two groups of people, you will actually get a bigger tax return, which could you know f- would would benefit a lot of people, especially millennials who are mostly single with no children. That's how they're usually filing. So. I mean, I would disagree. And the reason I disagree with that is because the lower rate is going to go up. So right now, the lowest rate is 10%. The lower rate would go up to 12%. So while the deduct, and they would get rid of a whole bunch of other deductions, including the child care deduction, the mortgage deduction, which most people get when they are middle class and they own a home um, or want to become a first time home buyer. So it actually, it may look like that on the surface, but from what I can tell, um, at most, some people on the lower end would only save up to $60 in their tax. And you could say, okay, well, that's still $60. Um, but once you have, even though it would doubling the standard deduction, but the rate going up, what ends up happening is at least for poor and middle class people, they really see no change whatsoever in their taxes. Whereas rich people uh, see the biggest change. And actually the loss of deductions will hit the upper middle class the hardest. More than a third of taxpayers who earn between $150,000 uh, a year and $300,000 a year will actually see their taxes go up. While people who own earn over $300,000 a year, we'll see their taxes go down significantly. Um, also, in terms of the business deductions and the and the pass through um, deductions, uh, that still remains to be seen. There was a really good article, which unfortunately most people can't access because it was in the New York Law Journal, which requires a subscription. Um, but it talked about that specifically in terms of large law firms and small law firms, which could be say large businesses and small businesses. If you take out the word law firm, um, and basically what this article said is that the Trump plan is really really light on details. And there's no actual layout yet about how the pass-through income is going to work. And so it could actually lead to a situation where small law firms do see um, more money in their pockets, where law, large law firms don't. But it could also lead to a situation where small law firms and small businesses actually end up paying more money than they are paying in taxes right now, whereas large corporations, large multinational corporations see their tax rate go down. So because of the, you know, we're getting a lot of stuff in the abstract, but we have a lot of lack of detail right now about how this is actually going to work once a lot of these deductions go away um, and the rates change. And so we don't actually know whether we're going to see people are going to see their taxes go down. Um, And even if they do go down initially, uh, we also have to look at whether or not they're going to stay down over time. Then there becomes the second issue about the debt and the deficit, which we're going to talk about later on in the segment. Yeah, no, so one of the things that I thought was pretty interesting, like we all know that what corporations do, they use the tax loophole so that they're not paying that supposedly 35%. Like they never pay that in taxes. Uh, What they do is they go overseas to avoid it. And, you know, Donald Trump, his perspective is, I'm going to lower it. I'm not going to close the loophole, but I'm going to lower that tax rate so that we can bring businesses back here. And, you know, some of the businesses that even talking about include like Apple and Google. So would that, you you know, like I know like us on the left, we're always saying no more tax cuts for corporations, for the wealthy. But in a sense, won't that and I hate to use the word trickle down. Doesn't but like, work. But that's okay, ridiculous that, because they could just close the loophole if they wanted to. I right. mean, just close the loophole. I mean, their argument is that if you if you do close the loophole, then, you know, the countries are just going to leave the, the states for good. And I mean, so what? Let them leave and then increase the taxes on uh, foreign companies who do business in the country. 
Right. I, I mean, listen, you know, there's a lot of problems with this tax plan. Um, I mean, starting from the fact that trickle down economics does not work. We have seen time and time again during the Bush era when they gave everybody these big tax cuts. What ended up happening? It all culminating in the, these corporations basically crashing the economy through the subprime mortgage crisis and the bundling of all these securities that weren't backed by anything. They didn't actually, we also saw a huge growth in income inequality. Um, If trickle-down economics actually worked, then what would have happened is following the Bush tax cuts, we would have seen growth in the incomes of working class people and in the middle class. Instead, what did we see from the year 2000 when Bush became president until the year 2008 when the economy crashed? We saw the largest income inequality quality wealth gap ever. Right now, the top 1% are making something like 10 times the amount of money that the bottom is, and that is only getting worth. The gap between the rich and the poor in this country only increased. So if trickle-down economics actually worked, then what we would have seen is that wealth gap would have shrunk. But the wealth gap did not shrink. And so what that tells you is the money isn't trickling down. It is lining the pockets of these rich, wealthy people that are making all these money that they are in, that they are not paying into taxes now. And instead of taking that money and putting it in the pockets of their workers, which is what trickle down is, they're putting it in their yacht (laughs) or an offshore account. I mean, well, it makes, you know, we've seen this happen in history time and time again. It makes perfect sense, I think, to us here on the left. But Donald Trump's base seems to be all for it. And they're the ones who are going to be hurt most Which by doesn't it. make any sense. Well, that's that's the part where I'm just trying to really, like, understand more so. because And, and I want to also ask you guys, what was your initial reaction? Because I feel like the people in his base were like, hey, yeah, definitely pro-Trump. It's going to make America better, great again. Because I'm sure everybody in his base makes over $300,000 <laughs> a year. Josh? Um, I mean, I don't understand these people. I'm not going to pretend to do. Um, I just think at this point, all Trump supporters think everything Trump's do is going to make America great again. And they don't really know what in the world is going on. Um, I mean, the good thing about it is that, you know, if he, if he does, I, I doubt he'll ever be able to get this passed. But if he does... You know, Wall Street is going to be booming. You know, now it's time to buy some stocks. <laughs> I mean, well, well, that's a that's a good perspective because you know, if you, you buy are, when it's low, you buy when it's low. Yeah, I mean, it's tanking right now because this healthcare thing and uh, North Korea. So I mean, stocks are really bad, right? They've been tanking for for months right. now. Buy so now, buy now, <laughs> and you know, if this this tax plan does pay off, it gets passed. Ooh, you're gonna make some money. No, go on. No, so do you think that we should take advantage in any way? Are, yeah, is there- that's the problem with people of color. You can't rely on Democrats to come in and save you. You got to be able to work with what you got. I mean, if Republican policies are, are getting passed, you got to be able to work with Republican policies to enrich yourself. I mean, be an entrepreneur. Take, take, take advantage of this new tax plan if it somehow is... You know, if is implemented and passed, you got to be able to take advantage of any situation that you're in. You can't just be like, "Woe is me!" Oh, this is gonna hurt me. Figure out a way to benefit from it. You know, and with that argument about Black economic empowerment, and I've heard uh, a, a lot of pro-Black economic empowerment people who happen to lean right say. You know, if we look at it this way and we do take advantage, as Josh is encouraging us to, uh, we should because under the Reagan era, I think, um, excuse me, under Barack Obama's administration, uh, black uh, 
black empower black economic empowerment wasn't as high because I think that people were felt a little bit more like okay well we have a black president we you know we have somebody who is for us rather than you know getting smart about uh, and and taking advantage of any opportunity exactly black people got poorer under Obama. Well, I mean, do we have actual numbers on that? Because I don't like to say things we, we on the radio. Have, there are actual numbers. We can quote There's, some statistics. I yeah. mean, I mean, in, income inequality in itself was pervasive. Well, it yeah, widened no, during during his term, but I mean, especially the black community in but itself. Here's the thing, which is a lot of these. But yeah, I, I don't disagree, right? You should be able to take advantage of what's in play. You know, you have to work within whatever system we and framework we end up having. But the problem is a lot of the proposals that are in this are not things that low-income people are going to be able to take advantage of. They are not going to apply to low-income people. Like, yes, you are going to get a double, possibly a doubling of the standard deduction. That is true. But if you have a bunch of children and you used to take the child care credit, that's no longer going to be available for you. In addition, some of these other um, things that people who own businesses that have profits or revenues of over $500,000 a year are going to be taking, be able to take advantage of, you wanting to open a new business are not necessarily going to take be able to take advantage of that because you won't have the revenues to qualify initially. And in addition, the other thing is these tax cuts, the way they're actually going to be set up is by the year 2027, which is 10 years from now, they are going to shrink. And the only people who are still going to have a tax cut are the top 1%. Everybody else is going to revert back to where we are now. So right. that tells you exactly what this plan is about. This plan is about lining the pockets of rich people. It's not about helping low-income and middle-class people. It's just not. I mean, we know Republicans are not about helping low I mean, that's nothing new. <laughs> we all know that. The thing about the child care credit thing is interesting. You know how they're doing that? They don't want poor people to have more children. A lot of poor people, people in welfare, they have more kids so they can get that. And they even adopt kids for that, you know? So it's like they know that and, you know, they kind of want poor people to, to stop. They want people of color. Especially but that's literally eugenics. Right. No, no, it, yeah. it is. And it's basically because statistics show that, you know, more people of color vote Democrat or lean left. So they're basically just trying to protect themselves right. and their existence. It's self-preservation. Right, but you know who else has a lot of children? Poor white people that live in the South. It's true. Mm -hmm. That's true, but who are they voting for? They're voting for Donald Trump, <laughs> and now they're going to lose their deduction because obviously that doesn't make any sense. I want to go back a second. You asked me what my initial reaction to this bill was, and I want to answer that question. My initial reaction to this bill is that it's insane, and not just because of the provisions in it. It's insane because Republicans spend eight years— Eight years complaining about the debt and the deficit. They said Obama spent too much money. But apparently, deficits and debts do not matter when Republicans are in office. Why? This bill would increase the deficit by over a trillion dollars over the next 10 years. Why? Simple economics. If you are cutting taxes on the wealthiest people, that means you have less revenue coming in. And that means you only have one choice. The only thing you can do is either, you, the only way to make the debt and the deficit go down is to either cut spending or to increase taxes. Well, there's only much money, so much money you can cut out spending. Right now, the, um, the America spends the most money on three things, Medicare, Medicaid, and the military. You can't cut Medicare and Medicaid as we've seen in the failure of the ACA, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later on in this show, because that's not politically popular, number one. And two, that means people will die. Number three is the bloated military. You could cut money out of the bloated military, but that, of course, is not popular because somehow we equate mil a, a, a just sheer amount 
amount of military spending to military might, which isn't true at all. We can have an efficient military spending less money. And then that leaves you with the whole rest of the budget, making up the rest of it, social programs and stuff. But there's only so much of those you can cut, 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 cut. So then it becomes a situation where if you're not going to be able to cut the spending, then you have to raise revenue. Instead, the Republicans want to do a giant tax cut. So for all this talk for eight years of Republicans complaining about Obama spending too much money and caring about the debt and the deficit, it's pretty clear that Republicans never cared about the debt and the deficit. They only cared about the black guy in office. Absolutely. Joshua, before we go to break, did you have a response? Yeah, I mean, we all that's that's the rhetoric they use. They they point at it's funny because Republicans will literally say anything they find. They literally look for anything to say, like when they're not in power. And then when they get in power, they do the exact opposite. I mean, it's actually it's funny. It's entertaining. And people buy it every single time. I mean, honestly, if this guy, if people don't vote, y'all better vote 2018, 2020. If 2020 come and he elected again, uh, I'm out, y'all. Bye. <laughs> what, I'm <when>? out. <laughs> what, Canada? Mexico? No, no, probably Asia. Oh, wow. Well, hold on, guys. Hold those thoughts uh, and hold that note. We do have to take another quick break. Don't go anywhere. We'll continue to talk about the insane tax reform policy that Donald Trump has for poll. Again, that's y'all's president. And we are right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with my co-host, Alyssa Fuchs. And we have a very special guest filling in for both Jackie Cohen and Stanley Fritz. We have losers. They are. We have Joshua Clennon here. Uh, And we were just talking about the um, tax reform proposal that Donald Trump dropped on us a few days ago last week. Now, uh, one thing I wanted to throw it to Alyssa to talk about how he would personally benefit from it. But before we do that, let me just throw the number out there, guys. If you have a question or a comment, if you want to chime into this conversation about Donald Trump's tax reform policy, you can call us up at 212-650-690. Three. I have to get the six nine in there. You also have. You can also tweet us at beard underscore radio and keep the comments flowing at facebook.com I mean, listen, this tax plan is so ludicrous that the New York Times actually called it. And I quote, a boondoggle masquerading as tax reform. Um, The Washington Post had some choice words for it as well. But in terms of how Trump would actually benefit, um, I have to reiterate that Trump is a liar. I know you already know that, but I have to tell you again, uh, because Trump, of course, went on record and said that, of course, he would not benefit uh, from this tax plan. He said on Wednesday, quote, I do not benefit. I do not benefit. In fact, very, very strongly, as you can see, I think there's very little benefit for people of wealth okay hold on was that a tweet or is that a quote no that was a quote that was a quote um now in high earners like trump are are the most likely people to benefit and they will benefit disproportionately um they will like trump himself basically they will have a savings of 1.1 billion dollars from the repeal of the estate tax a savings of 31 million dollars from repealing the alternative minimum minimum of tax and a savings of 16 million dollars from taxing of certain types of business income at 25 percent which and a savings of about a half a million dollars from cutting the highest tax rate, which means when all is said and done, uh, that ta- Trump will probably save $1.1 billion by this tax reform bill. But he wants yeah, you to know yeah. it's not going to benefit him if only if you ignore the $1.1, $1.1 billion extra that it is going to benefit him. 
it should be illegal for a politician to that blatantly lie to the public. I that, would agree. That's just why isn't that a law? Well, it's not a law because we have a First Amendment, and the First Amendment allows you to tell lies, <laughs> even as a politician. No, but as a public servant. Right. You well, so you have a responsibility and obligation to the state and the citizens. You can't to lie like that. Well, does he know he's lying? The of state? course he knows he's lying. Of Are you kidding me? Of course he knows he's like is there even He's the liar in chief. <laughs> well, I don't know where he's he lied about everything. What happened with this Mueller thing? Is he like when is he going to jail? Well, well, that, that's, that's that's another show. <laughs> yeah, that's another conversation and that may or may not happen, but you you know, Alyssa's is right. It's alarming to say the least um a lot of people on the left including us we're concerned that it gives way too much away to the rich to big businesses uh it looks like it's going to increase america's already large debt and the people that uh the most vulnerable people in our country the white working class uh for that matter as well as people of color are going to be hurt the most um what is what can and should we be doing to uh, petition our Congress people and to rally around uh, and put pressure on the administration to stop this from moving forward. And I say that in light of everything else catastrophic going on. Like we may have a war with North Korea's uh, dictator, a.k.a. Little Rocket Man. Like that may be brewing right now. We see what's going on in Texas, Florida, and mostly uh, the devastation going on in Puerto Rico that we just talked about. So it's like I can't even keep up. With everything that 45 does that needs a political push. When you elect a clown, you get a circus. Josh? Well, I know Democrats are going to be fighting this hard. But if you, you know, if you live somewhere and you're represented by a Republican or even, you know, if you can travel somewhere and organize people to, like, you know, occupy their their district offices, you know, sit in at their D.C. offices, you know, badger them every single day get on the phones call the senators call the congress members you know because this is i mean the bill as it is now is just unacceptable well and and i just want to just um add on to that because like you are a bernie delegate right so like you are extremely politically active like you know you've organized you did all these things At, at this point it almost feels disheartening in what way do you mean like to take action like what 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 is really going like what what is really going to come into fruition? I mean, you don't know. I mean, he hasn't he's been totally unsuccessful with passing the health care bill. And like the health care bill was kind of like the precursor for this tax bill. So like, uh, I mean, that's why stocks are falling now, because, you know, Wall Street was banking. OK, if he can get health care passed, then it's very likely that he'll get, uh, you know, the tax plan, because I mean, health care is just a bigger issue. Um, but he's been unsuccessful so far. So I don't I really don't. I don't see him getting, you know, this this tax plan or any resemblance of it through if he can't get this health care bill through. I mean, because secondly, health care is going to bank is going to bankrupt our country, regardless of even if we keep the ACA, this what we have now cannot persist. It's it's unsustainable. So, I mean, Medicare for all single payers. It's the only feasible option in my mind to, you know, get us out of the state now where we're paying more for health care than every other major country in the world combined. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, that's the first issue that our federal government needs to sort out. And then we can, uh, you know, get into battle over this tax care plan. I mean, listen, as far as I'm concerned, looking at this plan, um, it would increase the deficit. 
It would not increase economic growth. It would leave middle-class families looking at a higher tax bill. It would do very little or nothing to improve the working class, the people that Trump says he's fighting for. And instead, this would give money to hedge fund managers, corporate executives, real estate developers, other members of the 1%, and also to Donald Trump and his family. On top of the fact that it's very light on details, because we, you know, we've heard a lot of rhetoric, but we don't actually know what this tax can is going to contain. And what we do know, from what I can tell, is only going to increase income inequality, it's going to increase the wealth gap, and it's, and it's going to make things in our country significantly worse. Um, I agree with you. We do need Medicare for all. We talked about that in a previous show. You can definitely check that show out. Uh, that was just a couple of weeks ago. We had a good discussion about that. Um, and the last thing that I wanted to mention is this tax plan would hurt families in New York and California the most because of the fact that we right now have a deduction that we can take because we are highly taxed by our state government. And so we can use the fact that we are highly taxed by the state of New York to sort of write off some of our federal income taxes. That is one of the deductions that is going to go away. So this plan is also specifically aimed at blue states that have higher state taxes. um, And it, it is going to not only hurt poor people and middle class people, and help rich people the most, it is also going to hurt poor people that live in liberal states the most. Um, as far as I can concern, you know, I absolutely agree. We have to keep the pressure on. We have been absolutely crucial in the fight against the repeal of the ACA. We have made great progress through the resistance movement of staying on Congress. People cannot look at the tax reform issue and think, oh, this is a dry, boring, policy, wonky issue that I don't care about. They also cannot pretend that they hear the word tax cuts and they think that that's going to be something that benefits them. Obviously, people always think that a tax cut is going to be good. They're like... Everybody hates paying taxes. Everybody wants to pay Lexington taxes. But when you really break it down and you look at this plan, um, it may turn out that your tax rate on paper goes down. But when you lose all your deductions, that may end up meaning that your tax goes up. You know, people really need to stop worrying about party and they need to really pay attention to the details of this plan, because I think that's what's going to matter. We see a lot of poor, low income white people that live in red states that are going to be in favor of this tax plan because they think they're taxed enough already. That's what's started the Petit Party in 2010. Um, And that is the continued mentality of people who really are undereducated. We need to be able to not only put pressure on our representatives, but we need to educate people about this, how this tax plan is really not going to help them. Because once people who voted for Trump realize that they're getting screwed, they're going to turn around and turn against this plan. That is our best goal. You know what? I'm at the point where logic apparently doesn't work the way it should and as much as i don't think this tax plan will actually pass through congress and as much as i don't want it to if it does i feel like the only semblance of light or or positivity here will be the fact that it would actually hurt his base and i feel like if his base gets hurts in their hurt in their pockets they may not reelect this monster and we may actually get some progress when it comes to taking over local elections, midterm elections. And of course, what's going on in 2020? Like, hey, I kind of want to say you voted for this. You're dumb enough to actually stand behind his tax proposal. Let it happen. Let it like like literally like I mean, obviously, I'm going to be hurt, too. We're all going to be hurt. But it's like if the majority of the country really wants this and they really want our entire nation to be run down into the ground. I mean, why not? Why not? Because 
at least then won't we be able to actually come back into power? Won't that wake people up? I mean, am I a little no. off with my thinking? No. Have you ever seen the movie Idiocracy? No, I haven't. All right, well, see the movie and, <laughs> y- yeah. you know. I mean, Republicans have <laughs> been doing this forever and, you know, it's never woken people up. It hasn't woken people up yet. I mean, they've been screwing. It did, it They've been did. screwing middle America over. But I, I think that when we had the economic for downturn decades. in 2008, uh, and I think, I'll, and it hit people in their they under they hit people in their pensions and their four hundred one k plans. I think that a lot of people voted for Barack Obama because of how uh, George W. Bush, uh, how he messed up the economy, and I think that it did wake a lot of people up. I mean, and I think that's how we yeah. got the first black president. And then he saved the economy, and then they voted for the lunatic who has no government experience it's, whatsoever. It's a, right. But th- things go back and forth. But basically, like... I, the pendulum always swings. <laughs> exactly. No, it, it does go back and forth. But I'm just trying to say, like, maybe there is some positivity. Maybe there is some light. Obviously, guys, it's time for us to get on the ground moving when it comes to calling up our state officials, our uh, elected leaders, and making sure that we're doing everything in power to uh, educate and inform family members, friends, uh, colleagues, uh, people who may not live in uh, blue states, who may, maybe you have cousins or family that live in red states who aren't as informed. This is a time to put up those Facebook posts, to tweet at them, and to just let them know, like, hey, this is something that's going to hurt us all, and especially you, uh, because of the tax bracket that you happen to fall in so exact it for us that know better is us it's up to us and it's basically on us to do better because we can't expect anything better to come out of what 45 is proposing on that note guys we do have to take another quick break don't go anywhere when we come back Alyssa will be giving us a quickie on the gop's latest failed attempt to repeal and replace obamacare and we are back. That ad must have been created uh, while Obama was still the president because that's a Michelle Obama uh, let's move initiative type uh, ad council thing. And, of course, we know uh, Republicans don't care about your health um, and neither does the president, uh, which brings me into this conversation that we are about to have. So for the past seven years, the Republican Party has going to, has said they're going to repeal and replace Obamacare um, because they hate it, even though it was originally a conservative idea that was developed by the Heritage Foundation and instantly instituted in Massachusetts by Mitt Romney. But, you know, apparently they have amnesia, so they selectively forget that they created the ACA to begin with anyway because, you know, the black guy's the one who passed it, and they don't like that. Um, so after 44 times that they repealed the law symbolically while Obama was president but couldn't actually do it in real life, they finally got the opportunity to actually do it in real life when um, on some kind of whim they won the presidential election and, uh, you know, we're not going to go back through that. Um, and so they decided let's repeal health care but guess what they couldn't do it so they tried one time and they failed and they tried a second time and they failed and then they tried a third time and that failed too so then they thought you know let's try one more time um so they came up with this bill called graham cassidy and guess what that failed too so i'm really curious and i'd really like to know when does the winning start? Um, because I haven't seen much winning lately. Um, but you know what? I actually should rephrase that because it is a big win and it's a win for the American people and it's a win for anybody that has a pre-existing condition, needs their health care, has a mental health issue. Um, 
and needs to keep the uh, the ACA. And at the end of the day, I would agree with my colleague, Josh, who said earlier we should have single payer and we should have Medicare for all. Uh, but right now, Republicans control Congress, uh, both branches. Republicans have a lot of governors in office. And if we want to have single payer, that's something that we're first going to have to win elections uh, before we can get there. So right now, what we need to do is continue to fight the GOP's repeal of Obamacare, because even though they failed this time, that does not mean that they're going to not try again, because, of course, that's what they continue to do every time they fail. They try, try, try again. Uh, so let me just break down a little detail. So this last attempt to re- uh, repeal the Affordable Camp Act was called Graham-Cassidy repeal. And basically, Graham-Cassidy repeal was a little different than the skinny repeal that we had the last time and the other repeal that we had the time before and the other repeal that we had the time before that. You know, I can't even keep up with how many of these that there's been. Um, this was a little different because basically the way this was set up was sort of the block grant thing. Uh, and the way that would have worked is that instead of the federal government making these payments for the subsidies, uh, which are the part of the law that helps low-income people who are not eligible for Medicaid buy health insurance on the open market, you know, free market capitalism on the exchange, not socialism for those of you who seem to think it is, um, just had to clarify that, um, those would all go to the states as a block grant, and then the states would have to figure out how they were going to hand out and distribute those funds rather than the federal government doing. And in order for this to pass, Republicans could only afford to lose three votes. Well, of course, right away, Rand Paul came out and said, "Uh -uh -uh uh-uh-uh-uh, I'm not going to vote for this because this is not a full repeal. I promised my constituents I would only vote for a full repeal of Obamacare. Um, I I, I do not like this plan. This does not get rid of Obamacare. It just changes Obamacare by shifting it to the states. I will not vote for this. So after that, Republicans could only lose two more votes. Um, If they lost more than two votes, then they would not be able to schedule a vote on this, or if they scheduled a vote, it was going to fail again. Right away, like, I guess a day or so after um, Rand Paul said he was not going to vote for this bill, John McCain, who is dying of cancer, said, I will not vote for this bill either. Um, this bill does not. This bill is going to help my not going to help my constituents it is going to hurt the American people. I cannot support it. But he also mostly said, I cannot support the process that this bill was passed under. We need to get the Senate back to regular order. This is not regular order. This is not how things are done. We cannot pass a bill in that way. And for that reason, I do not support this bill. So that was two votes. And then we had a bunch of other Republicans. Republicans that were on a fence. Um, mainly it was the three women, uh, Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, uh, Collins from Maine, and Caputo from West Virginia. Uh, Capu- uh, Capito, Caputo, I don't know, something like that. I'm tomato, sorry. Tomato. Yeah, tomato, tomato. Um, you know, she was very concerned about the um, cutting of the opioid funding uh, for West Virginia. West Virginia, of course, has the worst opioid crisis out of any state in the country right now. This would significantly reduce the amount of money going to West Virginia to be spent on opioid spending. Um, Lisa Murkowski was very concerned about the people of Alaska. And uh, Susan Collins from Maine was also very concerned. She said that she could not support this bill. So they were trying to wrangle in Lisa Murkowski and they were trying to wrangle in Collins by saying, well, we won't repeal it in your state, which is really funny. We're like, well, wait, how does that work? You're literally going on record saying this bill is so awful for the American people, but we'll leave it in effect in your state because otherwise it would harm you politically. Uh, That makes no sense. Somebody should be like, I smell the coffee or, you know, like I smell what you're selling us and it's garbage. Um, You know, so we're not going to go against that. And so then Republicans were trying to shift gears and say, okay, well, we'll do all these things uh, to keep it in place. But then 
conservative Republicans were like, well, no, it, it, well, we can't support that. And this goes back to what I said the last time they tried to do this is the Republican Party is fractured. You have people on the very far right and you have people that are the more moderate centrist Republicans. And every time the Republicans move to the right to satisfy the people on the far right, they lose people that are in the center. And so then they try and move back to the center. And when they move back to the center to try and satisfy the people in the center, they lose the people in the far right. Right. And so they get into this big, giant catch-22. And so they can't pass this law. That said, this is not the end of the story. Republicans have been wanting to pass this bill for seven years. They are going to continue to try. They say insanity is repeating the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Republicans are insane. They're going to continue to try repeal Obamacare. Just because they're not going to be able to do it now doesn't mean they're not going to make another attempt at it. We have to keep our eye on the ball. Number one, You need to continue to call your representatives, especially if they try and repeal Obamacare again. Number two, you need to get out there and vote for Democrats in 2018. You need to vote for Democrats in 2020. The only way we are going to have real political shift in this country is if people show up for the midterms. Do not stay home. It really matters. In 2006, prior to Barack Obama getting elected, Democrats had the blue wave. They took back the House. They took back the Senate. We can do this, but we can't do this if you stay home. So keep calling your reps every time health care repeal comes up for a vote. Keep letting your voice be heard and get out there and vote in the next election cycle. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Alyssa, uh, for just giving us a quickie on everything that has gone wrong and why Republicans continue to fail at trying to repeal Obamacare. Uh, Thank you to everyone who called in, who listened in, who left a comment. We definitely appreciate you guys for hanging out with us this Sunday. A special thanks to Joshua Clannon for joining us here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Guys, if you love us and you want to show us that it's real, like us on Facebook at Let Your Voice Be Heard. Follow us on Twitter at BeHeard underscore radio. You can also find us on Instagram at underscore BeHeard radio. And if you want to listen to the show again or tell all your friends to listen, we have a podcast. It's on iTunes. It's on Stitcher. It's on Google. And it's on iHeartRadio. You can find that at Let Your Voice Be Heard. We also have a website, LYVBH.com. Check us out there. We'll be back next Sunday, God willing. I won't. I'll be in Silicon Valley, so... She'll be, air quotes, working. (laughs) Seriously, it's a work trip. With Rihanna. (laughs) No, not this time, guys. I'll be working, but Stanley Fritz, Jackie Cohen, and Alyssa Fuchs, they'll be here. They'll be holding it down. And eventually, the whole team will reunite once again. It's been a while since we've all been in the studio together, but we always appreciate our correspondents and anyone else who appears as a guest on our show. With that being said, thanks again. Happy Sunday, and enjoy the rest of your day. Take a knee. (laughs) And take a knee.